Welcome to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. I am also the co-founder of Path 11 Productions. And aside from podcasting, we also make great films and documentaries, which can be found at path11productions.com. We have a special promo code just for our podcast listeners. The promo code is PATH11PODCAST, and if you go to our website, PATH11PRODUCTIONS.COM, and visit our shop page, put that promo code in, and you will receive 50% off of our Evolution DVD, which is the third film in our PATH Trilogy series. If you would like to become a sponsor of the PATH11 Podcast, please email me at info at PATH11PRODUCTIONS.COM. And now for this week's show. So today I am joined with author Lizette Shudemaker. She founded and ran and sold a communications company before becoming a healer, life coach, and personal development author. She studied the work of Wilhelm Reich as part of obtaining her BSc in Brennan Healing Science. She is the co-author of The Eldest Daughter Effect, and she also lives and works in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Today we're going to be talking about her newest book, The Childhood Conclusions Fix. Welcome, Lizette. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Hey, so you had quite a journey, huh? Starting off in the field of communications and then, you know, moving into the Brennan healing science. Those are, Mm -hmm. wow, two pretty uh, separate things. So I was hoping you could introduce yourself a little bit more and take our listeners on a little bit of the ride of your life and tell us how you got where you are now. Ah, that's a great question. Well, how I sometimes explain it to myself is when I was in communications, I did a lot of internal communications within corporations. In the 80s and 90s, they were just, uh, you know, big business was discovering that people were actually a very valuable asset. And when you talk to them and let them know where you are headed as a company, they can develop alongside with you. And so that was internal companies. Uh, communication within corporations. And uh, then I turned my in- attention to internal corporation uh, communication within people themselves. How do we actually communicate with ourselves? Because um, uh, my impression is, my distinct impression is, there's no one in our lives we talk to as much as we talk to ourselves. So how mindful are we in what we tell ourselves? Because what we tell ourselves determines how we feel and how we function in the world. So uh, that's why I went and retrained. I had studied classics, Greek and Latin, when I was was young. I really started at at the source of our uh, culture, Uh, then went and did communications, then did this healing studies, and actually having worked in the field of communications and then becoming a life coach and a healer now comes together in the books I write. Yeah. And I, you know, I enjoyed, um, this book because it's interesting after I read it, um, you know, I do psychotherapy as well. And when I was referencing back to some of these childhood conclusions that we're going to talk about in just a little bit, I was like, Oh my gosh, you really can like narrow everything down in these five conclusions that we somehow, and I'm sure that you'll talk about this too, that kind of comes from childhood and we play it out in our adult lives. We do. We do. 
and, and until we become aware of them. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, um, I'm just going to let the listeners know what these five um, conclusions are. And I'd like you to kind of take us through the journey of each one to kind of describe how this negative self-talk kind of comes in, you know, what we can do to try to replace this through, um, adulthood, because, you know, the other part of, of the title of your book is turning the negative self-talk around. And I have found that many times people are their own worst enemies when it comes to their own self-talk. And uh, I remember listening to a lecture from Louise Hay, who was very big into, you know, affirmations and did a lot of teaching in that. And I remember her saying, it's just as easy to think a positive thought as it is a negative one. You know, it's just kind of shifting that perception, that focus and practice because it is practice. Um, So these childhood conclusions, and I'd like you to talk about too, um, kind of how you came up with the conclusions. Um, and I know that you, you rename them. Um, but the first one is I am not welcome. I must go elsewhere. The second childhood conclusion is there isn't enough. I am not enough. The third, what do I know? Have it your way. The fourth, I must be in control and five, I must conform to fit in. Hmm. Yes. So can doesn't you really make you happy when you read them like this, does it? <laughs> I know. So maybe you can, you know, take us from the beginning. How did these childhood conclusions begin to develop? And how do they become so strong within our field that we carry them um, throughout our lives and play them out into adulthood if we're not aware of them? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, let's imagine, you know, a newborn, really, really newborn, just come into this world. And um, let's also assume that there is a world of spirit and the huge, the world of spirits is huge and vast. And somehow some part of it incarnates in on earth and kind of looks at this little body and goes like, well, that's a really tiny body to kind of fit myself into. And uh, that it bodily, physically, a, a very young baby might get impressions that somehow it isn't really wanted. You know, it, it needs some reassurance, some holding from, from the parents, human contact, cuddling. And uh, for some reason, also the way we organize childbirth, uh, you know, put it in, in a crib that's, that's plastic and cold, um, it may get the impression, oh, la la, something has gone wrong here. I should not have come. I should not enter this body fully. And I don't really want to be here. I don't belong here. I'm not welcome. And, and just because that is such a painful feeling everywhere, even we as adults, when you come into a party and you don't kind of immediately, you know, everybody is clustered in, and having a good time and having conversations and you can't immediately find your way in, we again get this feeling, oh, everybody belongs here but me. I shouldn't have come. I should have just stayed home or not come at all. Kind of a shrinking back into ourselves, what we do. And we kind of become uh, a bit sad, and uh, but also maybe a bit aloof, a bit, we go away a little bit. We kind of go into a world of fantasy where things are uh, harmonious and and wonderful. And so that's all the, the part and parcel of that first very young childhood conclusion. And of course, that conclusion is not made by a baby in words. We have, it's still a long time before we have words. So, so it's more kind of this, this, it's very physical, actually, this, this first sense of everybody belongs but me. 
so so that's the first one and i can continue through the others unless you uh yeah i would like that i'd like you to continue yeah. through okay. them and then then we'll kind of talk yeah. a little bit more in depth sure okay so then the second is still a very young child that needs to be fed regularly because we are like you know as babies we are like uh um organisms and our instinct is survival so when we wake up uh, we need some energy. We wake up from a lack of energy. Some energy needs to go in, some food, some nourishment. And uh, if that is not instantly available, we will kind of make some noises, then we will start to cry, then we will start to wail, we'll wave our, our hands, our arms, and our, our little feet. So we're actually expending energy whilst we are in need of food that we need in order to grow and to make these new neural pathways in our in our brain. So um, the baby gets into a frenzy. The baby really experiences uh, a fear of death um, it, because it has no concept of time. You know, a mother might be somewhere else in the house saying, okay, you know, well, I've just done it. Well, I will be there in 10 minutes. And that's all very reasonable. But a baby does not have a sense of time. So we might experience this again. I, for instance, would experience this when I was when I was in a queue and or when I'm somewhere and nobody is paying attention, like I'm in a restaurant and I've been given the menu, but the person waiting doesn't come and doesn't come and then passes my table again and I see that person is busy but yet in me starts this oh if 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 she doesn't come now I will die which of course is not true as an adult but for the little baby you know that is really the truth as it experiences it so that's the second conclusion then you know there isn't enough there isn't enough time not enough food not enough love for me and because everything is still one big blob the conclusion is also i am not enough i must be not enough so you know the baby kind of caves in and starts to conserve energy and can't really take in from outside anymore. And the theory that that Wilhelm Reich, who was one of the first um, psychiatrists, very exciting time. There was big Papa Freud, but then the whole field was open. And he he watched people come into his practice, and he saw that people with the same kind of bodies and this had the same kinds of stories and these two i don't belong and i'm not enough are very persistent because they're very we're very young when we jump to these conclusions and his theory is that all of us have have jumped to either both or one of these two and then the 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 second series the second three are overlays on that so the third one is the child that, uh, the classic example is of a child who is uh, drawing, making a drawing, drawing a cat. And the mother comes and said, oh, what a lovely fox you're drawing. And the, the child says, it's not a fox, it's a cat. And the mother says, oh, give it to me. I'll put it on the fridge and daddy can see it too. So the child feels that it has, you know, there was a product of its creativity, which was not recognized, was made into something else. And then the whole thing was also taken away. So it is no boss over its own creativity. And this is also the time of the potty training. And there's other things that happen to children where their boundaries are not respected by elders that they trust. And so they, they kind of go like, okay, I better not put anything out anymore because it will be misunderstood and it will be taken away so so i just guard everything and and stuff it all back in 
and and so, so that results in this okay have it your way what do i know anyway so there's a powerlessness there and uh the fourth one is about uh trusting others actually and this is the child who who somehow gets you know in our young years uh, you must have also played at this. We all, I think, have played at that. We were the firefighters and we were rescuing, you know, the old people or the young people, or we were the doctors who would save the children or the princesses. And and fantasy and reality are, are just one continuum uh, when you're playing as a kid. And so a child, as a child, we often also give ourselves a role in the life uh, of our parents. Like the boy will think, you know, my father's away a lot. I'm the real man in the house here. I'm the real partner of my mother. And the girl will kind of dress up for her father. And he might, you know, play with that a little bit too. But then in the end, of course, you're not the partner of your of your parent. And so there is this sense of betrayal, of really standing there kind of in your full nakedness with your love, uh, figuratively, not uh, literally, but with your love. And, and this is actually the child with the broken heart. So they think this must never happen again. I must be strategic and look to see how, how these relationships are. And these become very strategic people, but they don't really trust others. They don't really trust life. So there's always kind of a nervousness and a tension in them. And so they feel they must keep things under control. As long as they control life, they will be fine, which, of course, is an illusion in itself. And of the child that grows up in a household where, you know, the jokes that are made uh, the child doesn't really get or finds painful, it's like the value system where they grow up and they, the inner value system of the child are not really a parallel. So they, they get to feel like, oh, maybe I'm a little weird. They don't think the others are weird because, you know, they seem to be the norm. So I must be the odd one out. I must be a little bit weird. And this is also the time when, you know, your sexuality starts to bud and you might throw yourself at the parent of the other sex and they might say, no, 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 no. And want to keep a distance. Whereas like yesterday, this was all still okay. So you also feel there are boundaries. This time it's not the outside world violating or coming, overstepping your boundary. It's like you feel you've overstepped a boundary, only you didn't know it was there. So you better be really careful. So, so kind of you draw yourself in and you kind of fit in, become conventional. So nobody can ever say, you know, you're, you're kind of not, uh, yeah, sorry. Sometimes I'm Dutch, you know, so sometimes the English doesn't really flow as well as other times. Um, but you're not adapted to the world. So, so that is, uh, the conclusion is I must, uh, conform in order to fit in. And those yeah, and, are the Thank you. And, you know, one of the things that came to mind when I was reading about these five um, conclusions, it reminded me a lot of conversations that I've had, you know, with, with other spiritual people, teachers, and it reminds me of the egoic self versus the spiritual self and the ego. Tell, tell me more, because, uh, <laughs> well, this is all part of the egoic self, of course. I mean, this is the way we start to build our ego, which is also necessary in order to to transcend it uh, at a later date. Is that what you mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of, yeah, that's what it reminds me. I've just kind of put it in maybe some different terms and different ways to think about it, um, you know, in these five conclusions. But yeah, again, it always seems to be coming back to this unraveling of things that we have learned. And what I find most human beings are trying to do is trying to get back to this place of remembering that they're love, uh, loving themselves, accepting themselves. I mean, it just seems like that's quite a journey for so many people. And that's what yes. you talk about, you know, in this book and, and how to begin to shift that focus and change the thoughts. So maybe you can talk about that. How do we begin to turn our thoughts from these childhood conclusions and, um, you know, allowing that to begin to change our lives? Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, it's not like, yes, there is like a going back to remembering we are light, we are love, we are spirit. But it's also really about transcending and including because um, I see this jumping to conclusions and this map that the childhood conclusions give us as you know, it's kind of our curriculum on this earth. We, we come here and we somehow need to to make sense of what happens. And these are kind of five pathways that we take, but we also, uh, they also help us to, uh, to bring our gifts, the gifts that we come in with. So uh, how to turn them? Um, there's actually two ways, and one is the more spiritual way, and one is the more psychological way. So the more spiritual way is actually turning them, kind of melting them from the inside out by thinking exactly the opposite of what you've been thinking all the time. So if, if one of, uh, of my patterns, one of my personal patterns is uh, thinking I'm not enough, like I'm not prepared enough, I'm not well read enough, if only I'd read, you know, that other extra book that somebody recommended then I would have the authority to speak. So I, I used to think that. So what I do is to think the opposite. So for people who think they don't belong, they're not welcome, is to really go inside to that spiritual place, to, to our core, and, and visualize maybe a sense of truly and totally being welcome. Being as welcome as as anything and like everybody is welcome everybody who is here belongs and then and and so to continue like that so to think i am welcome i belong i am enough i'm exa i'm not too much not too little i'm exactly right as i am i'm enough i am free my life is mine that's the antidote to feeling powerless and um thinking you know you have it your way to feel this sense of trust and faith and to, to nourish the thought that life is trustworthy, I can trust. And also then the fifth one is also really to trust myself. I'm not off. I'm not wrong. I am exactly right, exactly as I am in my authentic self. So that's, that's really a sewing of, uh, and, and kind of opening and widening them from the inside out. Uh, so that's the spiritual approach, the inside out approach, which as I do it right now, already makes me feel uh, so much easier and warmer. And it's something you don't need anything uh, when you're you know, commuting to work. 
uh, just to be mindful, whether you're thinking I'm not enough or I am enough, is makes all the difference for, for a day. You know, we, we brush our teeth, we brush our hair, we choose what to wear. We can also choose what, what inner attitude am I going to wear today? What inner sentence am I going to, to start the day with and radiate out to others as well? Yes. And you also talk about four different steps in shifting these childhood conclusions and your book kind of takes each one of them and you work it through. And the four different steps that you have and what you were just talking about is step one, to recognize the thought pattern, Mm -hmm. step two, to shift the focus, step three, to thank ourselves Step four, to invite that emotion from back then. And five, to be creative and live your life. And I think that the number one really is the key. And you were talking about that, which is recognizing the thought pattern and being really having an intention uh, behind it and starting your day and allowing a positive self message to be that first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. um, is a great way to begin the practice. But yeah. You know, with these four steps, I think, you know, one of the childhood conclusions that a lot of people um, really struggle with and who I see, I see most people for anxiety. And that kind of goes back to that fourth childhood conclusion of needing to be in control, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the unpredictable uh, parts of life and people, you know, who tend to have higher anxiety levels are always searching for the next their own conclusion of how the story should end or what needs to be done next. There's this planning, there's preparedness for A, B, and C. So, um, you know, trying to stay ahead of the curve, so to say, you know, life always, always comes from a different direction than you can foresee. Yeah. So what if you took people through those, um, you know, five steps of shifting the, I must be in control. Yes, I'm happy to. So as you say, the first step is actually to recognize um, the thought pattern. This, this once you, uh, you can actually see your thoughts and hear your thoughts. So for anyone on a path of, of personal developments and spiritual growth, I think, you know, that, that is kind of lesson one. We are not our feelings. We are not our thoughts. And these thoughts also are not necessarily true. They're just things that we think. And in those things that we think, there are these, for instance, these five very distinct patterns. So so when you feel like your energy go up and also thinking you need to be ahead, you need to plan, you need to know, you need to be in control or asking people, are you everything under control? You know, that's a really good giveaway. Then kind of, okay, okay. So it's the childhood conclusion raising its head again. So you must be in a situation that somehow triggers it. And, and so the first thing is also to be, to have some empathy with yourself. And then to remember you are not that child. You are not this heartbroken through lots of ups and downs, through schooling, through uh, whatever has been in your life. You've overcome it and you're here now. You're, you're an adult and you live an adult life. So better kind of grow yourself into that adult that you are. And then the third step is actually to thank ourselves because especially childhood conclusion four, I I call the chapter, chapter, the noble hearts. They are the warriors. They are the fighters and the heroines. They're the ones who want to save other people. They have a huge, big heart. They care. 
You know, we care with this childhood conclusion. So um, if you jumped to the conclusion that, you know, you couldn't trust your parents, that was at the time, you know, the only reason you could think of for for not being able to fulfill the heroic role that you'd given yourself. So again, this is it's good to be empathetic with the little child that you were and say, okay, I thank myself. I thank also this thought pattern for kind of getting me underway of developing my gifts of, of generosity and leadership because and strategy, strategic insight. That's all because of this childhood conclusion. So let me just, as the adult that I am, thank this part of me. And the result of thanking, of, of gratitude, is that the part that used to be so big and that used to kind of want you to, to be bigger than life even, to save the day, will kind of calm down. Because it is like any one of us. It feels then seen and acknowledged and recognized. And it also, in a way, you know, when we personify it, kind of acknowledges, oh, there's, there's an entity here who apparently knows what to do and I can rest. So by thanking it, you, you kind of calm it down while you're still in your adult self. And so this is kind of the first three step, steps are like the to-go method. You can do this anywhere if you want to work deeper. You can also go to step four. And as the adult that you are, with that gratitude and empathy for the child that you were, kind of go back to, to times when you have felt that anxiety that you were speaking about. Uh, when it really became so big that it took a hold of you and, and you can allow it to rise up again, but hold it also, not become it. Those kinds of feelings also want to be felt. And once they are felt, they can kind of, you know, they can't really sustain themselves. You feel that anxiety, you feel this, this urge to be a hero and, you know, make everything all right for everybody. And you hold it and you hold it and you hold it. And at some point, it'll kind of, it'll kind of calm down. And so that means that you've actually taken a bit of the tension and allowed it to be, and then it will fizzle out of itself, which means that the next time the tension you hold will not be as big. And so when you do this over time, it's, it's like, um, yeah, dealing with a backlog of unexpressed emotion, of unacknowledged feelings. So you're, you're actually clearing out uh, the attic, so to say, if you allow yourself to feel that feeling. And, um, and you know, you will not die a hero's death, but what dies is the, the illusion that you have to keep life under your thumb because it is an illusion. And you need to be able to live with that and dance with that in a way. So those are those four steps. Great. Thank you. And you also have on your website for people to be able to test their own childhood conclusions fix. So can you tell our listeners about that if they're curious uh, to take this test? 
Yeah, it's, it's actually a very easy test to do, and you don't need hours to do it either. Uh, it's, uh, it's on my website, uh, lisetteschoutmaker.com. Uh, you can take the childhood conclusions test and uh, uh, answering 25 questions that I've uh, developed with the researcher will give you a quick first impression of how these conclusions play out in your life, which ones are, are more upfront and which ones are less in your, in your day-to-day makeup, so to say. And you also have another survey that I'm very interested on as I was kind of going through your website and you have a survey for the childless. Now I would be one of those people and I do not have Mm. children and I will be taking a link um, or I'll, I'll be taking the survey through your link. And I understand that you're writing your next book on this and doing some research. So I'm really interested to hear some more about that. Yes, I do not have children of my own either. And at some point, um, actually during the launch uh, in London of of my previous book, The Eldest Daughter Effect, we somehow got to talk about not having children as eldest daughters, as firstborn women. And uh, this is very rare, that once you are past kind of the age of decision, um, I I have hardly spoken about not having children. And uh, still, it is. I have a different life from my siblings who do have children, and I'm very grateful that they have children. So I still have children in my life, but they're not mine. And I have given myself a different set of experiences than had I had children. And so I started uh, to talk to to friends and colleagues and and people I met on the way, and then people started to tell me their life story just like that, just like that. And I've had no shortage of people who wanted to be interviewed around not having children because it is a bit of a, of a hidden topic. There is more and more of us that 15 to 20% of adults in, in Europe and the US uh, will not or don't have children of their own. So we, I think, I mean, I feel an exception but when I look at those figures, it's like, wow, one in five or one in four or something, that is, that's actually quite a lot of us. So I am, uh, yeah, concluding the research. So take the survey, take the survey quickly, because next week my researcher will be starting her analysis. And uh, the survey has gone out worldwide and it's gotten a big response. My researcher is very impressed with uh, the uh, hundreds of people who have taken it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's great. I will take it as soon as we get off of this call, I promise. Um, She said it's only about 10 minutes. But yeah, that's interesting because, you know, in in my um, support group and community, I am the only one without children, you know, Mm -hmm. so sometimes it could feel like a very lonely world and you're kind of seeking to find those friends throughout your life because, and I too, you know, love my children's friends and I kind of get to be a parent vicariously through them. But it's, Mm -hmm. it's interesting how, you know, as you go through your own adult development and like you said, you create a new pathway 
to your own life and the experiences that you have, sometimes you have to find a new tribe to run with and play with because our friends that have children are really committed for many different periods of their life where they cannot come out and play with us as freely um, as we would like them to explore. Exactly. Yes. No, it is. It is good to find other people who who are in a different uh, time schedule and uh, can pursue different interests than people who are, you know, by definition, kind of immersed in rearing uh, little beings. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure if your research, you know, talks about this at all, but, you know, from my own personal experience too, that sometimes there's that societal pressure of, well, if you're a woman, you should be bearing children. Like, isn't that Mm -hmm. part of your role? And, you know, sometimes you do kind of get those looks like, oh, you've never had children? Huh, how come? You know, like every woman is supposed to either feel that burning feeling to be a mother or to want to have children. And in my personal experience, that really was never... I've never really felt that, you know, I didn't have that. Like some of my other friends who knew that they just wanted to be a mom and I'd be like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, but I know those looks and those kind of raised eyebrows and kind of, Oh, you, are you really a nice person? If you don't have children, you don't even have pets. You know, can you be a kind (laughs) and warm woman? Yes. I care about other things. And just this morning I was actually reading an article from the American social uh, journal of sociology from the beginning of last century, where they said, um, uh, there, there is a spectrum of women who really, really, really want to be a mother and then women who really don't and, and everything in between. And especially the ones in the between are like, am I or am I not? You know, like now we are actually discovering there is a spectrum in gender. It's not either, you know, female or male they're, they're, or feminine or masculine. There's like a spectrum in between. So we're starting to see with much more... Uh, kind eyes towards uh, a diversity of life forms and and ways people shape their um, their lives. But um, now conventions run deep and are strong, and and there's a lot of people who would love you to be like them, uh, and. Uh, questioning, you know, I I don't know, I'm not questioning parenthood, but just by existing and not doing it, it it is a bit of a question mark. Yeah, well, I thank you for going into that area. And we might have to have you back on uh, to discuss that research, uh, because I would be be very interested in that. Well, thank you, Lizette, so much. This has been really a fun interview. And thank you so much for taking us through these childhood conclusions, what the fix are, um, you know, walking us through those examples, and really helping us to try to turn that negative self-talk around. So um, we will put all of your information in our show notes so people can uh, find it very easy to get a hold of you. And if anybody else is out there, um, your actually your survey might be concluded by the time we publish uh, this podcast, but if it's still up on on a website yes. and there's childless still people have it there. up on a website, and please, please don't, uh, yeah, don't hesitate to still do it when, uh, yeah, I will have my researcher look at it uh, a week later uh, too to see if more ha- information has come in because it's really great that you're publicizing it, uh, April. Thank you yeah. so much. 
If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time.